0: Good evening, Church. How you guys doing? Good, good. Blessed to be here as always. Uh, I also would just like to open in prayer myself. Father, we come to you tonight to thank you, Father, for this wonderful privilege of being here, God, in your house with your people. And God, with you, with us. And Father, we pray that your Spirit would lead us into all truth, and that He would He would guide us, and God, that He would open our ears and our hearts. To your word, God. And I do pray if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, whatever the reason might be for not making that decision yet, that God tonight, Lord, they'd listen with their mind and their heart, set aside any preconceived notions or ideas about Christ, His word, and salvation. That Father, the truth would be revealed to Him tonight through the Spirit by way of your word. God, may you pour out your grace upon us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Um, Entitled the message, Israel Rejects the Gospel, but really it could be uh, entitled as well, Man Rejects the Gospel. When Mario asked for a title, I'm not good at titles, but uh, I realized afterwards that, you know, Man Rejects the Gospel would probably be a good title as well. Because we're going to look at verses 11 through 21 tonight. But as the Apostle Paul uh, continues here discussing why Israel failed to believe the gospel, he's going to go deeper into the subject of salvation. And he's going to show the extent of salvation. And he's going to point out... That Israel's failure was no surprise, but it was predicted a long time ago in Scripture. So let's begin in chapter 10 with verse 11. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, that word believe, many times when we talk about christ and christianity and god when you ask some person if they believe in, in jesus you know a lot of times they'll say yes but we need to really understand they need to understand what it means to believe in the biblical sense and i have a couple of uh, passages i want to share with you to show this but again believing here in verse 11 it's a, it's an action verb it means if I really believe in something, it's going to be seen in the way that I live. And the two verses I want to use to support this is First uh, Thessalonians 2.13. Paul, think, speaking to the Thessalonican Christians, he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And here's the key, which also notice effectively works in you who believe. Now, Romans 6, 17 through 18. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin and here it is, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So the word believe in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and the word obeyed in Romans 6.17.8 is the same. You see, it effectively worked in those who believed, and then in Paul said in Romans 6.17, he says that you obeyed from the heart. Notice, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So believing is just more than an intellectual agreement. Yeah, I agree with you. I believe in God. It's an action verb. There has to be, again, an action, a way of life, verifying that you truly believe. Let's look at verses 12 through 13 now. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as far as uh, salvation is concerned, you know, Paul says there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. There's no difference. He says the Lord is over all, all who call upon him. And Joel tells us whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody... Every living, breathing soul must come to salvation the same way, through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus is the only one who died for man's sins. And when he said, I am the way, he eliminated every other way. And and I've said it before, and probably here too, that, that that's not popular today. The world tells you there's all kinds of ways to get to heaven, just, you know, whatever you believe and, you know, as long as you believe. And that's not so. It's, it's, it's wrong. Jesus said, I am the way because he died for our sins. Nobody else has. And so, you know, it's not a matter of what about those other good guys. You know, they were good religious leaders. It's not about them being good. It's about being perfect enough to be the sinless savior, the sin bearer. And there was only one, and that was Jesus Christ. That's why we can only come to, to, the, to the Lord, uh, to, to heaven through Christ. And notice the whoever's mentioned here, two of them. Whoever believes on him, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In other words, the door is open to all men. It's a universal invitation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. I definitely do not agree with the Calvinistic theology that says there is limited atonement, that Jesus didn't die for everybody, that Jesus died only for those who would believe. We read in 1 John 2, 2, and he himself is the propitiation, that is the appeasement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Everyone. The Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Now, I believe it's a narrow door, because Jesus said as narrow as the way. But it's wide enough for all who want to come to, again, come to Christ. And whoever comes <clears throat> and believes in him will be saved. But believing in Christ is a matter of choice. It's a matter of one's choice. A person has to choose to believe in Jesus Christ or he chooses not to believe in Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of fate. You know, that well, that's just my destiny. I guess, you know, I wasn't meant to go to heaven. Wrong. That's why Christ died on the cross so that nobody would go to hell. He did everything he could to keep people from going to hell. I believe it's a choice, again, that each person makes in their own heart. It's not just an intellectual choice. Because there are things not to believe, that, that, you know, because there aren't things that, that, that I can believe in. A person has to choose to believe in Jesus Christ or he chooses not to believe in Christ. Again, it's not just a matter of faith. A choice that each person makes in their own heart. Again, as I said, not just an intellectual, uh, intellectual choice. Just because there are things I, I don't or I can't prove or totally understand. Nobody has ever rejected Jesus Christ totally for intellectual reasons. They might say they have. They might say they have intellectual problems. But, you know, it's really just, uh, uh, um, you know, um, uh, an excuse, okay, for not believing in Jesus Christ, and, you know, we can come up with the craziest excuses for not believing in Jesus Christ. It's pretty much like somebody that says, I, I don't believe in, I, I can't believe in the tall buildings in New York because I can't, you know, I, I've gone out in my front yard and I can't see them. Well, you know, a lot of people will use those same kind of arguments. Well, I can't believe in someone I can't see or, or, or something that I can't, you know, someone I can't talk to. Uh, the real reason they don't believe is that they don't want to. They don't want to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ because of the requirements that he, you know, he makes of us, which is to live after the spirit and not to live after the flesh. And the reason that they want to live after the flesh is because their hearts are evil. They choose not to believe in Jesus Christ. They love darkness more than the light. And that's the reason. The rejection of Jesus Christ is often not so much of the mind, but of the will. Not so much that I can't, but that I won't. Many people have intellectual excuses, but they don't have real, legitimate intellectual problems. Man, excuses can cover a ton of reasons. It really takes an honest person who has really taken the time to check out the things that Jesus said, the claims that he made. And then, after you have honestly checked out the things that Jesus said, the claims that he made, then honestly say, I just can't believe. But if you think, if you will honestly think and evaluate the, the, the proof, you will believe. And you know, you're asked to do that in a court of law. You know, the, 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 and I know when I've done jury duty, you know, the, the, the attorneys will say, you know, can you honestly, you know, what the facts are presented to you, even though, you know, you might not like the results. If you presented with the facts, can you give an honest and true judgment? And I think for the most part, we say, yeah. It's not any different with the facts and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you will look at them honestly and think honestly you can't help but come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He's Savior. But most people reject Jesus Christ for one or more of the following reasons. And the first one is ignorance. Romans 1, 18-23 says this, And much of the ignorance is often self-imposed. You know, don't confuse me with the facts because I've already made up my mind. Again, Romans 1, 18-28 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Because ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can already see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Jesus said this to the unbelieving Sadducees in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29. You are mistaken. Why? Not knowing get ignorance the scriptures nor the power of God the second reason is pride Jesus said this to the Jewish leaders in John five forty through 44 yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you because I have come to you in my father's name and you have rejected me Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe because you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is, is God. God hates pride. Proverbs says that, that pride will bring you low, that pride will cause strife, and it also, you know, we're, we're told that God hates it. Of the seven things that God hates, pride is at the top of the list because it will keep you from the kingdom of God. The next, again, problem, that the, the third reason that most people reject Christ is it's a moral problem. Jesus said this to Nicodemus in John three nineteen through 20. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, when you look at many of the crimes that are that are that are done, it's in the dark, you know, in the world. You know, and I remember we loved dim lights. We liked dark places to to do our sins. Many of the clubs that you go to, they were dimly lit. You really couldn't see what was going on in there. Because, you know, sin loves Darkness. If you choose to believe in Jesus Christ, there is plenty of evidence to show and to prove that you have made a rational decision based on reason. The gospel is reasonable. The gospel can be tested. The gospel can stand up to reason. It is unreasonable to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you explain the more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled? I mean, we're told in the Old Testament where he was born, the time of his coming, his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver, the money that was used to buy a potter's field after it was thrown down in the temple. It prophesies his being hit in the face, being spit on. The mocking that he went through, his hands and his feet pierced, the crucifixion hundreds of years before the Romans even invented it. I mean, that is, I mean, that is amazing truth. God has given us so much evidence. He has given warning after warning. And God will put a stumbling block in your path. He will do all that he can, short of violating your free will, to keep you out of hell. The Bible speaks about the wrath of God and the judgments of God on those who have ignored his word. Think about this. A person, a person has to work awfully hard to go to hell. They do. You have to trample over Jesus you have to trample over, his holy, over the Holy Spirit. You have to trample over His Word. You have to trample over the blood that was shed. You have to fight God every step of the way in order to be judged and condemned by God. Hell is the hardest place to go to in the world. But if you're stubborn enough, you can make it. You can make it. But you're going to have to fight God every step of the way to get there. William, William Law said this, Men aren't in hell because God is angry with them. They're in wrath and darkness because they have done to the light, which infinitely flows from God, as that man does to the light who puts out his own eyes. So you see, you really don't have any reasonable explanation for not believing in Jesus Christ. But again, believing is a matter of choice. I chose to believe in Jesus Christ because I'm tired of my sin. I was tired of that life. I didn't want to live in bondage anymore. I didn't want to be in bondage to sin any longer. I didn't want to live separated from God. I want to walk with God. I want to have fellowship with God. I want to have a relationship with Him. I want my life to have meaning and purpose. I'm tired and I was tired of the emptiness and the empty, unfulfilling chasing of things that I haven't been able to satisfy. I mean, the greatest experiences, the greatest high, all of those things, they just couldn't do it. They were temporary. And there's a lot of people today who are looking for the meaning to their life. Why was I born? What am I supposed to be doing in my life? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And in their search for joy and meaning, purpose, they try all kinds of empty thrills and pursuits. I mean, that's what we did in the old days before Christ. Oh, maybe if I travel. And maybe if I surround myself with some different friends. Maybe if I change jobs, maybe a a, a new career, the right boyfriend, the right girlfriend. Unfortunately, sometimes maybe a a, a different wife or a different husband. Maybe if I move out of the house, maybe if I change towns, change states. But understand a change of location or change of circumstances will not change your heart. You just carry that troubled heart to a different place. Emerson said this, that a change in geography never overcomes a flaw in character. And he was right. Warren Wiersbe says it very clearly, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Because you see, our heart is where all that conflict conflict takes place. Our heart is the center of that conflict. You see, our heart is where those feelings and those desires, they clash. It's where our hopes and our fears and our trust and distrust and our jealousy and, and, our, and our loves, they all clash. They're all at battle right there. So you see, when we're in that turmoil, when we're in that, that conflict with our heart and our soul and all of those things in life, it causes us to make wrong decisions. So we quit a job. We move away. We drop out of life. We abandon those things that are so important. We abandon the most important things in life. Looking for that so-called good life. Isaiah 55, 1-3. through three, It reads, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money to buy. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? God said, listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. He said, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. You see, so many people are thirsty for life. But they're seeking that fulfillment. They're seeking that satisfaction. They're seeking that drink from all of the wrong wells. This emptiness and this thirstiness. It applies to believers as well. If you're not walking close in a close relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll have that thirst. You'll have that, that, that emptiness. In other words, if you're not where Jesus wants you to be. This is what creates that emptiness. That's what creates that thirst in your life. When I'm not where Jesus wants me to be, then I feel out of place. I feel that everything is a mess. And the devil tells me, you know what, Joe? There's something missing in your life. Which is true, but it's not adventure. It's not thrills and chills and all that kind of thing. It's not, you know, that I, it's not, you know, the friends that I have. It's, it's my walk with Jesus. I want something that will fill that empty space. I want that, that, that longing thirst in my life to be quenched. And if you have that, that, that need, if you're not a Christian, you need Jesus. And if you are a Christian and you're empty, you need to find your place in His service. Because you see, you're not fulfilling the purpose for which you were called. I choose to believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and to surrender to Him as my Lord so He can wash me from my sin. From my sins. And that He might impart to me a righteous standing before God and He might use me in His service. Again, Joel said, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But, look at verses 14 and 15. But, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How will they hear this beautiful gospel message if nobody goes and tells them? Somebody has to go. Somebody has to tell them about Jesus. And, you know, I told our congregation last week, and, I, and I'm constantly bringing it up. Are there people in your life that you love and care about that you want to be saved? A husband, a wife, children, a co-worker, a friend? Each empty seat here tonight represents one of those people. It's not just Xavier's job, Pastor Xavier, or Pastor Mario, or Pastor Tony's job, or the staff to get the people to church. That's what I told the congregation. Do we love them enough to share the gospel with them and to stand to be ridiculed and be angered at? To see them into the kingdom of God. This is why Pastor Xavier and Fernando are in Colombia. This is the source for missions. For the, for, the, for the church having missionaries. Those who are sent out they, to go and tell the good news about Jesus. Who haven't heard about him. So that when they do hear about him. They might believe in him. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 52, seven quoted here, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. Man, we live in a world of chaos. We live in a world with people who are hurting. They're confused. They're messed up by this world's philosophy and all that's going on in this world today and the disagreements among one another. We need some good tidings, don't we? Of good things. Glad tidings of good things. We need some good news. I mean, just turn on the news. You're going to hear how divided the people are in this world. We're divided over everything. There's conflict everywhere. But you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is good news. Because it's the gospel of hope. It's the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of salvation. Man has been at war with God and himself since the Garden of Eden. We saw that with with Eve, you know, and her, her conflict with Satan. But man can have peace with God. And that's why sharing the gospel has to be the most important thing in the whole world. We want the world to change, but it changes when we reach people with Christ one at a time. One at a time. Glad tidings of good things that we have to share with the world. Henry David Thoreau, an American author, said this, boy, and he nailed it when he said this. We have improved means to unimproved ends. I mean, we're so advanced today in, in, the, in the field of medicine and technology and computer technology and all that's going on. You know, we, we, I mean, we're just, the, the, we, we've just advanced so much. But the nation is worse. Why is that? I mean, we throw money at this program. We, we change the laws to meet people's needs and to and it's worse off now than it's ever been. Because they're changing everything but the heart of man. And there's only one that can do that. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's why the message that we have is so important to get out to people. And I pray that we would just really understand that. Again, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? They haven't all obeyed the word. Not everyone has welcomed the gospel. We have the good news, but not all people obey it. Isaiah says again, Lord, who believed our message? Verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how can they believe in him him who they have not heard? How can they hear unless someone tells them? How then can they go and tell them unless they're sent? Sent with the gospel of peace. Sent with the glad tidings of good things. Not everyone will hear, the Bible says. But we don't know who they are. We need to take it to every soul. Salvation does not come by instinct. Instinct. It doesn't come naturally or doesn't it doesn't come by spiritual experience. It doesn't come by meditation or theory or philosophizing or popular opinion, but by hearing and having faith in the word of Christ. To tell the good news of Jesus Christ is the most important and necessary purpose for evangelizing. And Jesus gave us that great commission in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The purpose of, evangel- of evangelism is isn't to you know, show our human wisdom or, or to win people to Christ with a persuasive conversation or, or clever plans to, to manipulate confessions out of them for faith in Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because, you see, if you can be reasoned with to believe in Jesus Christ, you can also be reasoned with to no longer believe in Jesus Christ. You see, it has to be a conviction brought upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit because a belief is something you hold but a conviction is something that holds you. That's why it has to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God and the the working of the Holy Spirit is what brings that person to a a, a saving faith. We're to faithfully tell People about the gospel of Jesus Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work, to bring conviction and salvation to those who hear and accept the Word of Jesus Christ. So, as Paul said, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, not by seeing miracles, not by observing or experiencing some spectacular spiritual event. You know, we don't get it by, you know, you know, getting goosebumps during worship or, you know, tearing up during worship, though that can happen. But that's not what saves us. That's what's not going to bring us to the Lord. Verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Paul said, but, but, you know, I, I say, have they not heard? Paul answers this question. Yeah, they've heard because the sound has gone out. The word has gone out all to the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He's quoting from Psalm 19, 1 through 4 here, when he talks about the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship day after day. They continue to speak night after night. They make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the the earth and their words to all the world. So God has spoken to man. But they haven't heard. They haven't welcomed it. They haven't been listening Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to a jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Paul says, did Israel not know? Did, did they not understand? First, Moses, I'm going to provoke you to de- jealousy by those who are not a nation. I'm going to move you to anger by a foolish nation. Speaking of the Gentiles. The fact that God was going to save the Gentiles was something that Moses talked about. The Jews here are objecting because Paul is going to the Gentiles saying, you know what, you're bitter against us Jews. That's why you're taking the word to the Gentiles. But the fact that God was going to save the Gentiles was something, again, like I said, that Moses had mentioned. Paul is saying, no, I'm not bitter against you. But God has opened the door to the Gentiles. That is every living soul. He's opened the door to all men. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you are. By believing in Jesus Christ, you can be justified of any wrong that you have ever done. And you can be declared righteous and accounted righteous before God. So Israel should have known all of that. Moses, who represented their law, a sacred name to the Jews said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those people who are not a nation. Again, that are not God's people. And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. But there's also the testimony of their prophet Isaiah, and he very boldly says, Notice in verse 20 Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me, I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. And he's speaking of the Gentiles there. Verse 21. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Think of that. God says, all day long I have stretched my arms out to you. A disobedient and stubborn people. What a sad picture. God... The creator of the universe. The creator of the... Stretching out his hands to his creation. Inviting them to come to him. To come and know him. To have fellowship with him. All day long, I've stretched out my arms to them. But they were disobedient and rebellious. You see... This is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions of the world. The religions of man, the religions of the world, the religions that have been worked out by man, they always have man reaching out to God. It's man trying to, to, trying everything in his own power to reach God, to get to God. It's man pursuing God. It's man becoming the, the initiator in man's religion. But you can see what a useless effort it is. They they, they can stop. It's not going to do them any good. Because you see, you could never start reaching out to God on an earthly foundation. That is your efforts. You can never reach heaven on your efforts. You can never get to God on your efforts. The finite God can never be touched. Uh, the, The finite man can never be can never touch the infinite God. We read in 1 Timothy six fifteen through sixteen because he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, dwells in an unapproachable light, whom man, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. The minute you see this, or you see that man cannot reach God, when you see it from this perspective, in other words. Here's the finite trying to reach and touch the infinite. Right away you see, you realize it's impossible. And you have to admit it's impossible that the finite could ever reach and touch the infinite. But here's the picture of the word of God in Christianity. It's God who's reaching out to man. All day long I stretched out my arms to them. God reaching out to touch man because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is always the initiator. We read John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me. I chose you. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners when we were still ignoring God and had wanting nothing to do with God and say, you know what? I don't need God. I'm good the way that I am. I'm, I'm all right. God still died upon a cross for us. In closing, man cannot reach up to God by following his own ways. By following his own rules, his own self-righteousness, by his own self-denial, by keeping rituals or practicing religion, like keeping laws and man-made rules and ideas. These things will never get you into heaven. But... The good news is that God reaches down to human beings right where they are, in the condition that they are, and He asks us to respond. Man-made religions focus on human effort, man's effort. Christianity focuses on what Jesus has done. Believers have to put aside sinful desires, but doing so is the byproduct of our new life in Jesus Christ. It's not the reason for our new life. We come to Christ, He empowers us to put away those desires, those sinful desires. Our salvation does not depend upon our own discipline or keeping rules, but on the power of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. You see, man's religions have man trying to do all the work, doing all of the the, the necessary things to reach God. And and they have their own ways. And by implementing their own ways, they feel that God can be touched or he can be reached by man. But again, by, by his own reaching out for God. Man's religion says, here's how you do it. Here's how you go about it. You have to do it this way. You know, you you have to do it this many times. You have to do it over here. You have to do it on this day. You have to do it in this position in order to touch God. But Christianity says it's not by the works of righteousness that you can touch God. God. You will never touch God by anything that you do, no matter how good you think it is, and no matter how good you think you are. you are, you want to know what God thinks of of your deeds. All our righteousnesses are filthy rags. they stink to God. Your righteousness doesn't count. it stinks. You've got to put your faith and your trust in God. And as you put your faith and your trust in Him, He will account that faith for righteousness. Works can never, never save you. To be a Christian means more than making good resolutions and having good intentions. It means doing the right thing. There's a Chinese proverb says that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I meant to, Lord, I really... But... It ain't going to cut it with God. It's your trust and your faith in God, not in yourself that will save you. This is the word of the Lord. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Jesus said this to Nicodemus, "Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot, cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, humans can only produce, reproduce human life. We can only produce more fleshly people. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And lastly, you can't join God's church. Just because you fill a membership card out and you pass it, you give it to whoever, the usher, whatever doesn't make you a member of the family of God. You cannot join God's church. You must be born into it by the Spirit from above. It's God's doing. We have nothing to do with it. God initiates, we respond. And I do pray that this evening, you know, again, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, as I said from the beginning, man, that You have used your mind to rationally think and to weigh out the claims that Jesus made. That you can come to a rational, reasonable decision for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come to you, Lord. We thank you so much. The Father that when you created us, you didn't just leave us here to muddle around on our own, to grope in darkness seeking what we're to do. Lord, you did so much. You sent your Son. God, you came down in the flesh. You gave us your word, the scriptures. You gave us your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to lead us and to guide us in all truth so we can, so we can understand the Bible. You gave us the resource of Prayer. That you would listen to us if we called upon your name. God, you've done so much for us so that we don't have to go to hell. And if you're here tonight and you have never made a decision for Jesus Christ, I do pray as I'm sure we're all praying for that one soul, that second soul, or however there might be here tonight. If you're here, man, and you never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the worship team leads us in a time of worship, I want to ask you during this time of worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior during the worship at any time, as everybody's praying, you lift up your hand and say, by lifting up your hand, you're saying, yes, I want to receive the Lord. And when the song is over, we'll say a simple, I'll I'll lead you in a simple prayer of faith from here. So as we worship, you raise your hand.
1: Give life.
0: This is between you and God nobody else. Don't let pride keep you from raising your hand. God met you here tonight. He had an appointment with you here tonight. Don't leave here the same way you came in. I did see a hand go up but I want to make sure that it was a hand to receive the Lord and You want to receive the Lord, just lift it up one more time and put it back down. Anybody at all? I will cry. I would still like to say the sinner's prayer and if you uh, didn't raise your hand or you wanted to whatever you know what if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior uh, you repeat this prayer to the Lord with all of your heart dear Jesus please forgive me Lord for all of my sins I confess to you I am a sinner please cleanse me and wash me and make me brand new. Fill me. With your Holy Spirit. And help me now. To follow you. All the days of my life. Thank you Lord. For saving me. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer. You'll see one of the ushers. They'll be more than glad to get you a Bible. and lead you to somebody to, you know, share uh, what to do now in your newfound faith. God bless you guys.